It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon off. He will be back coming up next week. But right now, let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. Joining us now, of course, uh, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. He is our friend Howard Beck. Howard, how are you? Doing well, Jake. Thanks. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for jumping on with us today and doing a little uh, wrap-up uh, of the season. We really appreciate it. Uh, Want to get your thoughts. Bucks are champs. What do you think? I think they're obviously worthy champs. Giannis, a worthy finals MVP. And I think at the end of this second consecutive strange pandemic-warped season, we got a legit championship. We got a great finals. Um, and, and a legit champion. I mean, you know, it, it's funny to, to kind of think back about everything that the league has been through and even everything that the Bucks have been through and their path here. And I think at the end of it all, you know, it's just encouraging that, you know, we got a, a, a really competitive finals that had some incredible performances, you know, Giannis especially, but, you know, Devin Booker clearly had his moments and is a rising star in this league. And he got to showcase himself. The Suns got to showcase themselves as, as uh, you know, a story that we talked about many times during the season. One of the, the, the just great surprise success stories of, of this season. Um, but in the end, you know, look, the Bucks they had the best player on the floor. And they have a guy in Giannis who some people now consider best player in the world. I'm not ready to go there quite yet, but he's in the conversation for sure. And he was fantastic. And, it was just, I thought, a really enjoyable finals from start to finish. And the, the, the Bucks, um, they earned it. They, they, they really earned it. And it was good to see a team, especially in a small market, that went all in, that traded everything they could to get Drew Holiday, that made a deal midseason for P.J. Tucker, that was fully committed to you know, getting Giannis in a position where he could contend and win immediately. And then to see this team kind of overcome some of their own ghosts and, and, you know, recent missteps to, uh, to pull it all together and, and win it all. It was, it was just a fabulous run. I'm with you, Howard. I, I think the finals totally exceeded expectations. I thought the games were good. I thought the storylines that developed were great. And um, at least for me personally, I, it was fun to get to know Giannis a little bit better. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of his, the answer to Sam Amick, uh, our mutual friend's question, and uh, he'd talk about, uh, you know, ego and pride and how he tries to operate. I, I really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit better with those videos, with the nuggets and how he wanted just 50. I mean, hilarious stuff. But, uh, of course, people are talking about him being the face of the league. And is that going to happen? And I kind of think, well, the NBA would be lucky if it did. I think at any given time, you know, we we focus sometimes on a single individual, Jordan in the 90s, LeBron for much of the last, you know, decade plus, you know, Kobe for a time. Um, But it's, it's, it's rarely one guy. I mean, there's often one guy who feels like 
is, is the face of that generation because they've got the most finals, the most championships, the most MVPs, maybe sometimes just the most popularity, whatever it may be. But it's usually a group, right? Like, it was Magic and Bird, and Isaiah was in there somewhere, and then, and then it was Jordan, but, but it was Jordan while Magic and Bird were still part of that, that, that crew as well. It's always a collection. Even when Shaq and Kobe were winning three straight, you know, nobody wanted to th- talk about Tim Duncan as face of the league because they thought of him as being too dull of a personality. But th- there are always multiple guys who are representing um, like, like the face of the league. It, it's, it's and so right now, you know, LeBron's in his uh, presumed twilight. But look, he, he was. <laughs> He was still the, the leading candidate, or at least a leading candidate, for MVP at the time he went down midseason with an injury. And if he's healthy and he's still playing at that level, but he was playing at an MVP level. So LeBron is still there. And Kawhi Leonard is now hurt, but Kawhi is, is there. Steph Curry just had a phenomenal season. He's part of the face of the league. Joel Embiid, who obviously you know finished high in the MVP race, is there. Giannis is there. Luka, who just had an incredible performance uh, for Slovenia in the Olympics, and had a fantastic season for the Mavericks, he's there and not going anywhere anytime soon because he's the youngest of everybody we're talking about. So, um, you know, is Giannis the face of the league? He's a face of the league. And and if LeBron were to retire, say, after next season, um, you, you're going to have a, a multi-way race. And then it's going to be, well, is it, is it Steph on longevity or is Steph already yesterday's news? And so we're going to focus on it's, it's Giannis and Luka and Embiid. By the way, three international players who might be the, the co-faces of the league, um, which is uh, just a phenomenal development in, in the NBA's uh, evolution. Um, it, it could go any number of ways, but Giannis is part of it, and I think people getting to see all of Giannis, his humility, his sense of humor, uh, his humanity along the way, I think is all great you know, for him and for fans and, and for the case for him to be face of the league because – I think people have a better sense of him and can relate to him that much more. What happens to the Suns now, Howard? Uh, what, what is I don't I don't know if you're hearing anything, but what does Chris Paul decide to do? And uh, do you think they, you know, what's the likelihood of them being back to contenders or in the finals next year? This is a really big test for Robert Sarver, the owner of the Suns. He has been throughout his tenure as the Suns owner uh, known to be kind of a penny pincher. Uh, he's made a lot of cost-saving moves over the years that have hurt the Suns from year to year. And Chris Paul has, has earned, you know, a, a, another massive payday, though he is whatever, 36, 37. Um, it's a tough bet to make because guys don't play at an elite level this deep into their 30s, especially as smaller guards, but he still is, and he's still obviously a difference maker. And, uh, you know, he is a linchpin to that team. You know, their heart of that team is still Devin Booker, and Aiton and Bridges and then Cam Johnson, some of the other young guys, but Chris Paul pulled it all together. And and that was very clear. And if you were to let him walk, uh, if you couldn't come to agreement on a deal, he's not easily replaced um, by any stretch. And you do need a point guard. You know, Devin Booker is a great ball handler and playmaker on his own, but he, he, he needs to be the secondary playmaker. They need a great point guard next to him. And there aren't, you know, a ton of those. There's, There's plenty of good point guards, but, there aren't that many Chris Pauls. Um, so this will be a big test for Robert Sarver and that franchise in, 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 to keep him. That said, I cannot imagine any scenario in which Chris Paul would want to leave or why the Suns would want him to leave. So I think they will find a way to, to, to make a deal and, and keep him. You know, Chris Paul lives in L.A., so he's less than an hour from home. 
His family's there. Why would he want to go any further away? You know, rumors of like the Knicks and everything don't make much sense. He was just, he finally made the finals after this fabulous career that was missing, you know, not only a championship, but even a finals appearance. Well, he made it and he's with a team that if he stays with them and plays at the same level and those young guys all continue to make strides, they can get back there again. So I don't see why he would give that up to go anywhere else. I, I, I'm working under the assumption that Chris Paul is back in Phoenix and that Phoenix is a contender, but that race is, is you know, gotten, we're, it will get more crowded again, right? The Lakers I mean, presumably will be back to full strength and will be in the mix. The Clippers, maybe not if Kawhi Leonard might move, miss the whole season, but the Nuggets will get Jamal Murray back some point, point during the season. They're in the mix. The Jazz are in the mix. Uh, the Warriors with a healthy Clay Thompson and maybe some other moves, I think, are back in the mix. So it, it's it's going to be a crowded race atop the West. No guarantee for the Suns, but certainly, you know, as long as Chris Paul is there, they're in the mix. So as you know, the Jazz are in a in a similar situation with Mike Conley. Um, you know, ownership here, Ryan Smith uh, and his group have. have you know, in various ways expressed that he is a priority to bring back to this team and he appears willing to, you know, spend whatever to make that happen. The other kind of more subtle offseason uh, kind of rumor mill, I guess, for the Jazz, Howard, has been there's been uh, various reports out there that the Jazz may be uh, willing to move Joe Ingles or Boyan Bogdanovich. What kind of value do you think other than uh, those, maybe those two guys can, can bring if they end up being traded? And could that be a way for the Jazz to improve going into next year? Well, on the Conley thing, <clears throat> similar to, you know, the Suns and, and Chris Paul, <clears throat> I think Conley, you know, really found his stride with the Jazz. It's a nice it's a nice fit. I think it's, it's been good for all parties. Obviously, a bumpy first season with them for a variety of reasons. But, um, it, you know, I, I, he makes sense there. Um, what's the cost? And, and and what does that do? What's the ripple effects on the rest of the payroll? And does that then require maybe moving Ingles or Bogdanovich? Um, what can you get for those guys? I mean, I, that's really – it's always really hard to say. They're both really valuable players. I mean, you know, you you know how, how big of a premium is placed on shooting and especially, you know, bigger wings who can shoot. And in, in Ingles' case, also, you know, a guy who can, you know, really serve as a secondary playmaker or even a primary playmaker with your second team. Um, those guys have value. Um, what's the goal, though? What are you trying to do, you know, in terms of retooling? Because their strength was not just efficient three-point shooting, but volume three-point shooting was, you know, being able to just bury opponents um, with their scoring and then obviously defend at the other end. And, and if you're going to lose a little bit of, of the shooting, um, what are you trading it for? What are you What are you looking to do? I'm not sure what shape you know, that they're, that they're trying to get into um, in terms of reformatting the roster. It's a strong group. I think maybe they hit their ceiling, but, you know, short of getting another, you know, elite score, um, I don't know how you break through that ceiling. And, may, and maybe it's just, again, internal improvement. Maybe it's the next, just another step from Donovan Mitchell. But um, the Jazz will be, you know, worth watching this offseason to see how they retool. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting because the Clipper matchup was a tough one for the Jazz. They obviously uh, had a tough time responding and lost four consecutive, not unlike Phoenix just did. Um, but uh, that, you know, the 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 long, rangy, defend multiple positions, switch everything, those types of teams, the Jazz have been you know vulnerable to that for several years now. And I, I just wonder, if they were healthy, would that have been a problem this year? Because it wasn't at times during the regular season? Or is it some, or is it still a, a fundamental flaw in the roster I mean I, I think that's an interesting debate back and forth yeah I mean it's interesting to think about who we just saw in the finals right because you know on, on your show I've talked many times about you know this admittedly reductive model for winning championships in the NBA but it's kind of true usually you've got two top 10 top 15 type players and maybe a third one if, you're, if you've got a super team and if you've got two of those guys you're in business, right? If you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis, if you've got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, though they haven't gotten there yet, um, that's usually the model. And in the case of Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, even if Rudy Gobert is, is top 15, he's not that typical do-everything, you know, two-way player, offensive creator. It's usually the guys who are, like, big-time scorers. It's, it's not usually a guy who's just an elite defensive player. And so – and yeah, I understand that obviously Rudy Gobert does a lot for them offensively, all that stuff, but it's not the same as two guys who just put the ball in their hands and they can go manufacture out of thin air, like LeBron and Anthony Davis, LeBron and Dwayne Wade, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. You know, um, the one-two punches in the NBA tend to be offensive one-two punches. So going and getting that guy is difficult to get the second guy. On the other hand, you know, did the Bucks truly have that? I mean, they kind of did. You know, Chris Middleton is a guy who could go drop 40 and, and did. Um, he's, you know, I, I've said many times I didn't think he was at the level of, of say, you know, a Paul George as a second guy as a wingman. But, heck, he just showed it in the finals that at times – and that's the thing, Chris Middleton's maddening that way, right? Like there are games where he seems to disappear or is very quiet. So I still am not sure I want to put him on that tier. But did, were the, did the Bucks have that traditional model that I'm talking about? You could argue not. You could just say that, you know, they had Giannis best player in the league this year, perhaps, or at least best player, obviously, in the playoffs, and two really great high-level supporting players in Middleton and Drew Holiday. And the Suns made the finals with, you know, an all-star in Devin Booker, a late-career Hall of Famer, Chris Paul, but again, not the traditional one-two punch either. So maybe it's possible to, to do it a different way. Howard Beck is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We were talking about Rudy a little bit. Rudy had a big win over Team USA. What did you think about France winning? And, you know, I don't want to say they blew him out because they certainly didn't, but uh, but they, they look pretty good doing it. Yeah, I missed most of the game while trying to figure out how the heck to watch it. I just assumed yeah. it was going to be on NBC <laughs> or one of the other, you know, options. Oh, wait, I got a good Peacock. Oh, wait, I have Peacock. Oh, wait, you want me to subscribe to Peacock? Oh, for Lord. Yeah. So I, it just, it, <laughs> by the time I finally pulled it up, I think we were down to a little, like, you know, the the fourth quarter. Uh, and those those Olympic games, those international games go by quickly with those shorter quarters. Um, so I saw Team USA just kind of come apart, you know, down the stretch. And, you know, France, obviously, just a, a great shot-making team and, and really efficient. And um, they looked strong. Um, they, they, they looked good. Uh, you know, whether that's more about them or more about Team USA being kind of uh, just, you know, in a state of disarray at the moment, is, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, is Popovich, I guess, uh, you know, how big a job is this going to be to get to that uh, that medal? It seems like he's got a, a lot of work to do to figure stuff out. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it, it doesn't help that they had such a short training camp together that they didn't even have all their guys. And then some of the guys they had, they lost. You know, Bradley Beal all of a sudden has to withdraw. Kevin Love withdraws. You know, three key players were in the finals and just, just got to them at like 1 a.m. the day that they were playing France um, with, with Middleton, Holiday, and Booker. So, um, it, you know, it, not to mention how many guys that they didn't bring in the first place. And I know it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, it's, you've still got a roster of all NBA players. No other team in, in the world at the Olympics can say that. And so you should just blow everybody out by based on talent alone, but it's not that simple. Like cohesion matters and continuity matters and having guys together a little time to, to kind of feel each other out and settle on roles. I mean, even in the NBA, you know, you talk about it all the time, you know, when you put a bunch of talented guys together, whether it's a super team or whether it's just adding guys to an existing contender, you have to define roles and figure out how to play together and get in a rhythm with each other, like chemistry, all these things we talk about all the time. Well, for Team USA, it, it's, it, they haven't had that time, and they haven't figured out those roles, and there's, you know, they're having to do this on the fly. So the good news for them is the next game is against Iran, who they should beat handily, and maybe that's a, a, a good tune-up um, to kind of get themselves uh, on track and in sync. And they'll have had that much more time for especially the three guys who just got there from the finals, Middleton, Holiday, and Booker, to have that much more time to acclimate to the time zone as well as their teammates and, and maybe just catch their breath. How much is motivation a factor? Because Gordon and I talked about this a little bit uh, last week. We have Joe Ingles on the station on our morning show uh, every week. And the last uh, couple of weeks, he's talked about, you know, uh, going to play in the Olympics and those sorts of things. And you can tell it means the world to him, right? I mean, he, he says he, he would not have missed this uh, opportunity. They have never meddled. Uh, that's been his goal his entire time he's played for Team Australia. I mean, you can tell this means the world to him. And with, with Team USA, it's a, it's a different dynamic, right? Because you're expected to wax all these teams and uh, you know it's not quite the us against the world type of mentality because you are the team that's uh, targeted and the favorite in every game heavy favorite in every game and I could understand why maybe the motivation is a little bit lacking for those types of players but how do you think motivation plays in? That's hard to say I mean it's it's such a hard thing to, to you know, the psychology of it it's hard, it's hard to, to kind of make two big of an assumption about i mean the u.s has won a gazillion gold medals in, in men's basketball but not all the players on this roster have so you'd think well they're, they're they'd be motivated to continue to to sustain um and, and pr protect the legacy of, of their predecessors right they, that that should be important to them on the other hand it has become clear over the years that you know winning olympic gold you know for Australia to do that, that's a, a huge accomplishment. If France does that, it's a huge accomplishment. For some of these te these, these teams, um, because they're smaller countries, because they're, they've had been you know playing basketball at a high level for a, a shorter span of time, because they have fewer NBA players on their roster, whatever, to win it is a, considered a bigger accomplishment and, and a ma massive point of national pride. I, I wonder if you were to pull all NBA players – you know, the ones who were born in the U.S. and the ones who were born elsewhere, I wonder how they would answer the question that was posed to Luka Doncic uh, over the last day or so, which was, what's more meaningful, 
you know, an NBA championship or Olympic gold. And Doncic said he, that winning gold for Slovenia would be a bigger thing. And I think most NBA players who are U.S. born, I think would probably say NBA championship. And I, I don't know if that would be the case for all the international players. And, and does that factor into the results on the court? You know, maybe. Um, again, hard to say. All right, Howard, this is the last thing before we uh, we let you go, and I'm, I'm going to channel my inner Gordon here because he always likes to compliment you and say, <laughs> oh, you know, Howard, you're you're so thoughtful, and uh, just like to, <laughs> to get your thoughts on these thoughtful things. You know, we we love Gordon. But I, I do want to ask you this because this is the last time we're going to have you on for a minute, and it's been great having you on for the last year and a half all the way through this unique journey, and you've been so generous with your time and your perspective and, you know, playing NBA basketball during a pandemic is has been crazy right and and the next time we talk to you you know things will be somewhat normal right i don't know about societally but you know the schedule will be back on track of you know we're talking about 82 games you know hope we're hoping for some normal so with that in mind how did the nba do over the last year and a half navigating this when when we look back in history how will we uh remember the behavior and the performance of the national basketball association I think on balance, we'll consider, we'll, we'll view the NBA as having done an incredible job in keeping this thing together. You know, they were able to finish last season and crown a champion. They were able to finish this season and crown a champion. There were certainly hitches along the way and a lot of challenges. But I, I, I think on the whole, you know, whether it's their COVID protocols and the way that they managed it, the way they managed, you know, individual crises along the way, including having to, you know, postpone that flurry of games in January. I think more often than not, they made the right decision. I don't think all the decisions were correct. And I think they were given too much credit at the beginning for being the first major sports league to shut down after, after Rudy Gobert's positive test. Like if it wasn't Rudy, it was going to be somebody else. And shutting down was the only rational thing to do. So I, I think people have praised them for that as some, you know, you know, progressive, you know, proactive move, but I think it was just what they had to do as much as what they, you know, decided to do. So, but that's not a critique. That's just to say that I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll look back and, and do some of these things in a slightly different uh, prism, but um, I think they've done a really good job. And I, I, I think they have been a leader overall, and I think they've been assertive in the way that they have managed this pandemic and trying to protect their players and their personnel. Uh, it's been difficult for them. Obviously they've lost, you know, hundreds of millions in revenue, uh, whether it's from TV or from gate receipts. Um, but, you know, as long as they come through this financially, okay. And next year is back to an 82 game season. I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it and go, wow, that was, that was pretty impressive. Um, no, no major controversies along the way. No major scandals involved, you know, that, that concerned the pandemic and their management of it. Um, my only last thought on it is this. You know, I, I think the last thing that Michelle Roberts, the, the, the union uh, executive director, has said, I think she last pegged it at 90 percent vaccination among NBA players. I really hope they're closer to 100 percent, if not at 100 percent, to start next season. Because with the Delta variant and other variants coming behind it, and we're already seeing, you know, the NFL is having to take some pretty – strict measures and NFL players pushing back. I hope the NBA as a collective is, is 
is better than that. Um, and, you know, whether they'll re- have a similar requirement, I don't know. But my hope would be that voluntarily the NBA players would all get vaccinated and that, you know, we can all look forward to an uninterrupted, um, complete, normal season <laughs> starting in the fall. Fingers crossed, Howard. I'm cur- You can't see me, but my fingers are currently crossed hoping uh, absolutely hoping for that and hey hey listen thank you so much for uh, not only coming on today of course but uh, your voice on our show throughout the season we are so fortunate to, to have you on and and just hope you know we we appreciate it and i don't often speak for gordon but i know he he thinks that as well so thank you so much howard we appreciate you no i i appreciate you guys just as much and uh thank you it's always a pleasure love talking to you guys every week and appreciate the time and and, uh, look forward to resuming in the fall. Thanks, Howard. You're the best. Howard Beck, our good friend from Sports Illustrated. So great to join us. He normally joins us on Fridays. Uh, because of uh, the 24th of July, he was nice enough to uh, to jump on with us on a Monday, even though I hope he's into his offseason and doing something fun. But honestly, he's probably covering the draft and summer leagues and you know, never taking any time off. The NBA season never ends. Uh, in fact, I love the NBA offseason, as uh, most of our listeners out there know. I find it absolutely fascinating. And we talked to Howard about uh, the Jazz offseason. It's it's going to be interesting to, to see what they do. I expect to move on draft night. I do not expect the Jazz to make the 30th pick. Just my not um, going on inside information, just looking at the logic of it. I don't think they want another guaranteed contract. And so I would guess that they're going to move off it unless they move up. They could move up. You never know. So off-season coverage here on uh, the zone uh, of the Jazz, of course, will be ongoing um, summer league coming up right around the corner. But a fun conversation with our friend Howard Beck. Uh, We will get to more big show coming up next. We do have a not sports report at 450, so stay tuned for that. Greg Rubel, uh, voice of the Cougars, will join the show coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. It is the big show. Gordon off on vacation. Uh, He'll be back coming up next. Next week, Pac-12 Media Day coming up tomorrow uh, right here on uh, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We want to remind you uh, about our good friends at uh, Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner. Syringa Networks, call 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. We'll have more Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.